0: Making waves. Making
1: waves. Making waves.
0: Making waves. Making, Making waves. waves. Making waves. Making <laughs> waves. <laughs> Making waves. Making waves. <laughs> Making
1: mm. Making waves. Four,
2: three, two, one, this is the Making Waves VO Podcast with Kevin Kilpatrick and Bobby Maxwell.
0: Welcome to the Making Waves VO Podcast. It's Kevin Kilpatrick here in Nashville.
1: And Bobby Maxwell in Nashville North.
0: <laughs> I love that. It's just so weird, not you not being in Cincinnati. By the way, your Zoom still says Z- Cincinnati, so you may want to fix that. Thank
1: you. Thank yeah. you. I don't think I have my yeah. picture of there either. I'm so behind. I don't even have a studio camera anymore in this new location. Oh,
0: well, you got to fix that for sure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the Making Waves VO podcast is presented by Full Compass. Log on to fullcompass.com. We know VO. And uh, Full Compass is going to have major pre Oh. That's my alarm to remind me that uh, Emmett Andrews is going to be joining us in just a second, uh, but Full Compass is going to be present
1: big time at V.O. Atlanta, Bobby. One of the major sponsors. I, I just saw the artwork a couple of days ago, and yeah, one of the the tops, the premier sponsors, and they're going to have um, actually information in the swag bag when you get it when you check in and. Um, Well, we'll tell you about some more goodies later on in the podcast.
0: Yeah, but just know that uh, you definitely need to make a stop by the full Compass booth at VO Atlanta because uh, you will most likely be rewarded in some way or another.
1: Very, very cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how's your week been, Bobby?
1: You know, it's not as – February has a little bit of a slowdown uh, compared to January. Um, Don't know why. But it is. But I'm okay with that. I'm still unpacking boxes here. Yeah. How about you?
0: Uh, staying busy with uh, e-learning and car stuff. Um, I, I've been put on hold for three things uh, here in the last couple of weeks. Ooh. One of them was like, Kevin. You are taken off hold. You are released. They went with somebody else. Aww. That's that's the way I hear it in my head, by the way. They were much more nicer in the email.
1: <laughs> it's probably just let the other guys know they didn't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 essentially. But I'm um, still on hold for the couple others, which is cool. I actually also just did um, one of Mary Lynn Wissner's uh, pro voiceover workouts with Brent Allen Hagel. <gasps> How um, was
1: that?
0: It was, it was amazing.
1: I've interacted with him on LinkedIn, just back and forth questions. He just seems to know everything about Trailer.
0: He is a cool cat. He is a cool cat. And uh, he's so passionate and was so energetic and giving. And uh, taking that class was a little bit of an eye-opener for me. It was like, um, do I have something to offer in that world? I've never really considered it so much because it's so super competitive and there's just a, a few of the elite of the elite that that are getting those kinds of jobs. Yeah. But, uh, um, I, I was very encouraged and inspired by uh, you know, what he did and the way he worked me over and, and that kind of stuff. So did he like tell you cool. how you
1: can get trailer jobs and all that stuff?
0: Yeah. Um, very cool. His model is go to the producers, go to the people that are making the content. You know, if you can get on a roster, that's fine. But he did a ton of legwork he started at the age of 17 with a determination of being a movie trailer guy mm-hmm. so um for the last two plus decades he's been working towards that and it, it, and that just goes to show you that in this business we're in bobby it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight you know maybe for a handful it might happen overnight in in like a couple of years time But uh, it's such a hard business we are in. Yeah, remember Um, Daniel Ross
1: saying that? I mean, how long Mm -hmm. it took him to to get where he is? It was like
0: 10-plus years he had been working on it, and he finally got some big breaks. Daniel Ross did uh, animation voice. If you don't know Daniel, he's amazing. Um, But you can look him up. Um, But, yeah, same for Brent Allen Hagel. And uh, just a sweet, sweet guy, very passionate, very hardworking. You can tell he's hardworking. His, His thing was he basically pounded the pavement so much that they just had to give him some work so that he would stop bothering them you know <laughs> that's kind of like uh what i got from him but yeah it was cool cool stuff and so.
1: he had you perform a couple times
0: yeah yeah what did um, you do do you remember um i did uh i did a horror piece and then i did a uh, a kid's uh so I did Amityville Horror, The Awakening, and then, which was released like five years ago. You know, you work on older scripts. Right. And then I did uh, Peter Rabbit, the James Corden Peter Rabbit. So uh, oh, fun. I, to- totally different things. And uh, maybe I'll play them for you because I happened to hit record while I was doing that. And uh, anyway, we'll do that. We're going to be joined by Emmett Andrews. Emmett Andrews is amazing. And uh, Bobby, he is uh, in the Zoom room.
1: Well, let's let him in by all means. Don't make the man wait
0: hang around we'll be back shortly
2: as a voice actor you want to focus on what's important right like pulling off the perfect read you don't want to stress about tech stuff that's why full compass is in your corner with 50 years experience in pro audio full compass has everything we voice actors need mics headphones monitors mixers interfaces DAWs all the goodies And their certified product experts help with everything they sell. Plus, you can get free same-day shipping, flexible financing, oh, and a low-price guarantee. See it all
0: at FullCompass.com. FullCompass.com. They know VO.
1: Making Waves returns.
0: All right, he's here. He's a voice actor, producer, script writer, studio technician, self-proclaimed noise geek, and author of the book, VO Studio Companion, the Home Voiceover Recording Instruction Manual. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Emmett Andrews. Welcome, Emmett.
2: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, sounds so pompous when you read that whole list all at once. <laughs> well, these all are true. all your accolades. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It's, it's good to have you on the Making Waves VO podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time out and, and joining us. Uh, we wanted to talk, uh, Emmett, with you about tech stuff because this is something that uh, voice actors deal with. Uh, before we get into some of that tech stuff, let's get into your uh, background, your history, and your journey into voiceover uh, because you're a radio guy, right?
2: i uh, I am sort of sort of i i I don't consider myself a radio guy because it's it's almost kind of uh, an insult these days when you're <laughs> when you're trying to do voice acting and and being being called a radio guy you don't want to you don't want to sound radio. oh we know um, but uh,
1: <laughs> we know big time. Uh,
2: <laughs> but even more than that, I'm, I'm just an audio guy, and I landed in radio because of that. So uh, my, my first real job was at a radio station, but it, I didn't get into it because I was into radio. I got into it because there wasn't a recording studio in my hometown, and radio was the closest thing we had.
1: Wow. And where was
2: that? That was Newton, Iowa, oh. back when I was uh, a wee little pup, 16 years old, just after my 16th birthday.
1: Oh, you've been into this for a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been. I 27 years this year. Wow. Um, Where are you now? I'm in Indianapolis now. I work for, uh, for Radio One. Um, I moved here and worked for MS Communications, who I had previously worked for in St. Louis. And MS divested in radio, sold off their stations. And so now I'm with Urban One.
1: I remember when that happened, uh, uh, Emmett. It was like everybody was crying because Emmis was such a cool company to work for.
2: It really was, and and Jeff, the CEO, uh, the corporate headquarters are here in Indy, so I got to know him and and got to know the, the corporate people, and just very much loved working for the company. Um, when I worked in St. Louis, they had downsizing, and I was let go, and you would think there would be some bitterness with that but i couldn't wait to get back on with Emmis. i i just thought they were a great company all around yeah
0: what are you doing in radio right now what's your uh tell us your title
2: my title is officially creative services manager oh my gosh so you're
0: doing a crap ton of stuff
2: there's there's a (laughs) lot of work yeah so i i oversee technically the the all the commercial production and the imaging kind of stay out of the imaging. The guy who does the imaging is very good, very independent and really doesn't need anybody looking over his shoulder. So I only oversee that on paper. But the commercial part, I'm I'm very heavily involved with lots of writing and just making sure everything that we ship out is good, whether I produce it or somebody from my team produces it.
1: How many stations are there in the cluster there?
2: There are now, because there were existing Radio 1 stations and they bought us, we have eight radio stations, oh. a TV station, and a statewide network. Wow. That's crazy. Where does
0: this love of audio come from, the the, the technical side of audio, since a kid, or when did that evolve?
2: It, yeah, that's actually a funny story. Um, I, I tell this story every once in a while. Uh, I was not very technical as a kid, um, not, not in any any real way and I, I didn't have much interest in it and one day when I was about 12 years old my dad was trying to copy a VHS tape you know just from <laughs> one machine to another and he was fighting with it and struggling with it and couldn't figure it out and I went to bed that night and about 1 30 in the morning I woke up and I knew how to do it and I ran down the stairs and hooked up all the stuff and it worked, it worked immediately. And suddenly I, I just, for no apparent reason, understood the signal flow of everything. And it kind of grew from there. I Whoa. was just interested in in doing that. And I I just had this kind of base understanding and I have no idea where that came from or why it popped into my head, but I just learned more and more and more. I, I ordered all the catalogs from all the... Uh, Uh, pro audio sales companies, you know, and I would just read them cover to cover, read every description and learn everything I could about all of the gear and kind of picture how it would connect together in my head. And then just over time, bought my own and and continued to learn and continued to study.
1: Wow. Do do you think that you have, oh, what's that called? A photographic memory?
2: I, I don't think so, but I am autodidactic, which means I teach myself better than other people teach me. Mm-hmm. So I, I often joke that while my friends were, were busy screwing around in college, I was busy learning. Um, when I was about 20 or 21 years old, I printed off around 10,000 pages worth of all the audio material I could find. And I would just sit around my apartment reading it. I was not a very exciting 20 or 21 <laughs> year old.
1: <laughs> hey, it's Amanda from Amanda Utter V.O., and you're listening to the Making Waves VO Podcast with my friends, Kevin and Bobby. Thanks for listening.
0: I, I'm trying to be more autodidactic, but um, yeah, it's just not working.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's how I found out about Emmett was through one of the Facebook groups. Um, and thank goodness he has helped me personally. This is the third time, I think, a couple of weeks ago. You know so much, and I, I see you chime in, and a lot of the questions that talent are asking about tech, and you're you're so quick to offer help and not take a penny for it, and thank you so much for that. It's just so refreshing in a business where a lot of people are out to make a dime. You know,
2: when I was learning back in back in my teenage years, uh, I would frequent the. They weren't Adobe at that time. They were the, the Centrillium forums, the, the cool edit forums. And there was this guy named Steve G on those forums. I, I don't remember his actual last name, but he went by Steve G. And he seemed to know everything. And I thought that was so cool. And so I, I kind of hung on his every word and learned as much as I could. And then there was sort of a point somewhere where it shifted. And I started being the one who who knew the more advanced answers. And then I thought that was really cool. But I still remember Steve and the fact that he answered everything, every question that popped up. He was there to provide an answer. And if he didn't have an answer, he would dig for an answer or he would hypothesize. And I I just thought that was really cool. And I guess I kind of followed in those those footsteps. There's, there's a lot of people that would thank you for that. I'm one as well. Bobby
0: talked about that, you know, the help you gave her, and you've given me help. Uh, advice on gear and stuff like that, which... P.S. I still have not purchased that Apollo, but I'm going to. And when I do, (laughs) I'm going to set up a session with you so I can get it dialed in and so I can set it and forget it and and, and kind of going backtracking just a little bit on the Facebook. So Emmett is is part of these uh, same Facebook groups that Bobby and I are part of. And it's the Facebook uh, pro voiceover community, I think, is where I see you the most. Right, Emmett?
2: I'm in there quite a bit. There are there are a handful of groups that I frequent. Um, my favorite one is probably Vo Tech Talk. Okay. Um, uh. The the problems that crop up in there tend to be a little bit more advanced, and those are a little more fun to troubleshoot. And uh, <laughs> and, and like a to lot flex of
0: those muscles.
2: <laughs> I, I do, and <laughs> yeah. a lot of the a lot of the people in there tend to be more advanced users, so the conversations go in and geekier places than somebody who just got their first mic and their first uh, DAW and interface and are trying to do basic setup.
0: Yeah, I, I'm picturing a uh, Tim Allen home improvement moment where you guys are going, ah, 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 you know, when you're talking about, <laughs> like, ah, ah, ah. Uh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and listen to that right there. Not only is Emmett a, a studio technician, but he's also a voice actor. Tell us about what you're working on and what you've been working on voice actor-wise. I saw I some of your done, videos. They're great.
2: Oh, thank you. I have done uh, quite a bit of stuff, and a large, large portion of it is at my day job. And I'm very fortunate that both Emmis and Urban One allow me to kind of expand out from that so I can work with clients beyond what they do with the stations and they can hire me for their individual projects. They can take my work to other stations and I, I charge for all of that. And I've actually gotten a few national things through those kinds of channels where it has originated at the station group and then fanned out from there. Uh, so that's a big portion of my work, and it, it keeps that tool sharp. And I run the department, so I try to run it with more like an ad agency feel in mind than a typical radio production department. Now, sometimes we're scrambling and we don't have the resources of a big ad agency, but the the general feel, I, I want the quality to be on that level. I want the writing to be on that level whenever it's possible. And I want the the voiceover work to be as close as we can get to that level. So when somebody listens to a station, it's not obvious that you know one spot was produced locally and another was produced nationally or by an agency.
1: So I remember in, in radio um, political season, you guys the industry would just have so many spots running. Is that something that you can find yourself finding work through in the, in the job that you do in political season? Or does most stuff come in? Um, Kevin, I just did a whole session on political is the reason I'm asking. Do you find that you can get work that way or through clients that come in in any genre?
2: I actually avoid political work entirely. and oh, wow. and my reason for for that, obviously, it comes through the station, and there are there are political buys. But my reason for avoiding it entirely is because I don't want to upset another client because I'm voicing a candidate or an issue that they may disagree with. So I call in a lot of favors when i have have political work. First of all, I have it set up with our management so that I can get a little bit of a budget. So I can throw somebody a couple hundred bucks uh, who's in another market, a friend of mine, and get their voice on it to keep my in-house voices away from it. Um, Smart. So that's that's kind of where I touch with political. The, the only part that I am willing to voice is the paid for tag at the end, You know, paid for by whatever organization. I'll do that. But outside of that, I, I try to steer entirely clear of political. And if it's a local candidate, I try to get them to come in and record their own spot because that just simplifies the process very much.
0: Hey there. This is George the Tech, and you're listening to the Making Waves VO podcast with Kevin Kilpatrick and Bobby Maxwell. I bet your station sounds so good because it's refreshing. Bobby and I, you know, come from radio. I did it for eighteen years. I was production director for a long, long time uh, for a group of stations, uh, the Arkansas Radio Network. And you know, at the time, I, I didn't, I didn't quite understand you know, the ad agency side and then the radio side, I was just making spots, you know, I didn't, I was just having fun and doing my thing. But now that we're in the world we're in, I bet your station sounds so good because of your earnest effort to keep the ads on an agency level. When did that kind of kick in for you? Have you done that since you've been in radio or has it been over the last several years
2: Not since I've been in radio. Like I said, I started at 16, and I I really didn't know anything for a while. Uh, That kind of became dominant while I was in St. Louis. I moved to St. Louis and got a job at my dream radio station when I was 20, and that was uh, 105.7 The Point. It was the rock alternative station there. Nice. And I was doing on-air production and imaging work, and having the time of my life, I wasn't making any money, but it was loads (laughs) of fun. It was... (laughs) i think the best job that that a guy in his early 20s could possibly have and while i was there their creative services director it it wasn't that he necessarily said that he was focused on an agency sound but he was exclusively a production guy he wasn't an on-air guy who was doing production he was just production and he cared very much about the quality And that's kind of where that developed, was working under him. He held himself and his own work to a high standard, and so I I followed that. And others in the building followed that, too. And so those were good-sounding stations, and then after that, it became something that I would fight for. So after St. Louis and and a little break where I went to work at Sweetwater and tech support for a while, uh, I was hired by Learfield Sports. And I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. Learfield Sports, but they they oversee broadcasts for basically every college radio broadcast in the country, uh, amongst other things, um, naming rights and things like that. But I was hired as their commercial production coordinator and when I got there there was really no focus on quality and that's not a that's not a knock to them it was just they didn't know how to it was high volume lots of uh lots of spots coming in and it was just get it done rip it and read it and move on and I couldn't change that because of the volume but I did find ways to add processing and consistency and build them into single keyboard shortcuts for everybody. So at the end of a spot, somebody hits one button and it comes out sounding pretty good. And I tried to make some other things more efficient, but I I fought everywhere I could to raise that bar. Um, And part of the reason that I, I left that job, because it was an excellent company, excellent group of people. Was because I wanted to return to somewhere where the volume wasn't that high, and I could focus more on quality. And so when I really came back to it, I, I worked with a guy named Dan Osborne, who I know is Dan. A, yes. yeah, a fabulous voice actor. Uh, Dan hired me, and he hired me knowing his weaknesses. So a lot of people get kind of territorial when they're hiring somebody who is younger, um, and Dan is is not that he specifically hired me to come in and kind of tear apart the way they did everything and improve it and dan and i are, are still very close we have lunch regularly um, and i i took over his seat a few years later and he and i really had the same vision you know i brought organizational skills that weren't there before and and some different ways of looking at things and obviously the technical side um, but He had that same vision of, let's make it agency quality. Let's fight to make it good. So at work, I have a little bit of a reputation as being difficult because (laughs) I will fight for every single spot, no matter how insignificant it is. And over time, many of the salespeople have come to appreciate that, but it has taken years for some of them to recognize that there is a benefit to that. Because most salespeople just want to get it on the air, um, yeah. And so it it's not it, it's not just having a vision for it. It's it's fighting for it, and and sometimes it's fighting every day to keep that quality high and and convince people that it is worth an extra day to make it right or worth going back to the client and saying your copy is terrible. How about this copy? <laughs> whatever the case may be, whatever it is that we can do to elevate at least one level up from what's expected of us. That's what I try to do.
1: Don't go anywhere. The Making Waves VO podcast returns in a moment.
0: Oh, Bobby, it's that time of year again. It's very, very exciting. VoiceOver Atlanta is coming. The biggest VoiceOver conference in all of the land is coming. (laughs) And our good friends, Full Compass, are going to be there with a booth.
1: I love this, they're they're coming in as one of the major sponsors for VO Atlanta, um, which means they're not gonna be all over, not only gonna be all over the uh, brochure and the signage and everything, but they are gonna have a big booth in the exhibition area. I like
0: big (laughs) booths and I cannot lie.
1: (laughs) Knew you were gonna say that. (laughs) So make sure you stop by the Full Compass booth because we'll probably be hanging out with them too because they're our new best friends.
0: There's going to be discounts. There's going to be experts there to talk about gear. If you're just getting into voiceover and you want to talk to somebody that's a pro about how to get set up, they're going to help you. They're not going to try to oversell you on anything. They're just going to give you good, solid advice. And then you take it from there. And then, hey, take their discount code. And if you need something, use the discount code and save some money. It's going to be great for everybody, and we cannot wait for uh, VO Atlanta and Full Compass' sponsorship there. And uh, Bobby, if this guy, I'm pointing at myself, if this guy gets off his tail and gets it ordered, we're going to have some Making Waves VO podcast swag to get, too.
1: You haven't done that yet? No, I'm
0: <laughs> sorry. Um, I, yeah, I, I got to get it ordered.
1: Ah, we got time. <laughs> if you can't get to the booth for Full Compass, you can always go online, fullcompass.com. Check out all the different gear they have. Their exceptional service, free shipping, great cons- uh, consultants to help you with what you need and much, much more. FullCompass.com
0: Low price guarantee. Don't forget about that, too. Yeah, FullCompass, FullCompass.com
1: We don't be out.
0: And now, back to Making Waves.
1: Well, let's talk tech, okay? Because I know you're just d- dying to jump into it. <laughs> <laughs> First off... How many microphones do you own?
2: At this moment, not that many. Let me, let I'm me count. Shocked. <laughs> I've, got, uh, I've got three 416s, uh, TLM 103, <laughs> four SE 2200s, an SM7. I've got a ribbon mic that I couldn't tell you the model of. And I've got a little handheld mic and then I had a little... USB mic somewhere so that's that's the extent of it. I love that Emmett says that not that many but he has to count. I, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was working for this gear company where I had a, a true mic locker. Every mic I could get my hands on I got my hands on and now most of them serve a, a daily purpose or a regular purpose. Um, at, at that point it was more of a collection and, and how many can I get so I have sold off a lot, and I've sold off a large amount of gear because I had gear everywhere, too. You know, console on the desk and racks full of gear, and I've whittled that down. I've still got racks, but not nearly the the amount that I once did.
1: I, it seems like Emmett, any time somebody asks about a microphone, Emmett will jump in. I, I love it. But one of the big questions that pops up on these sites a lot are about extraneous noises. As a matter of fact, I think it's the day doesn't go by that somebody won't talk about soundproofing or sound treating their booth or their studio. Um, one of the most recent ones, I don't know if you saw it, Kevin, was about the cicada broods are coming.
0: Oh, I did <laughs> see that. I did see that.
1: <laughs> and I and think... And anyway,
0: you chimed in on that, yes, didn't you? Yes, you did. I did. <laughs> yes. I did,
2: because it, when, when Brood X came through here a few years ago, it was... One of the loudest noises I have ever heard in my life. It was unbelievably loud here.
1: Can you guys hold on for one second? Can you hear this? I live I 20 miles anything. from Fort Campbell, and their helicopters go by me all the time. And I wanted you to hear how much things shake because it's exactly but what we're talking But those low
0: frequencies don't pick up so much, right? Like, are the... Are the uh, I mean a helicopter noise is gonna be on the lower it's more of a feel, right, Emmett?
2: It? it it is more of a feel. You'll see it in the waveform, but you may not necessarily hear it. But if you uh if you do a cut where that low frequency is, um you're you're likely to get a click there. Even if you don't hear the sound, you'll hear the click from the cut. Okay. So it's still one of those things you have to worry about. And usually I'm I'm an advocate of just putting on a high pass filter and filtering that stuff out.
1: So is that your best advice if people ask you about construction noises or wood chippers or appliances running <laughs> is that a filter?
2: For the for the low frequency stuff, uh, low frequency stuff exists everywhere. It's unavoidable. It doesn't matter if you're out in the country, just nature has a lot of low frequencies and they carry a long long way. You may not even be near the source of the noise and it's still going to be there. If you get a real sensitive mic, the the TLM-103 is a good example. Mm -hmm. No matter where you put that, unless it is in just an expertly built, outstanding studio, when you start recording, you're going to see low-frequency rumble there. And it's going to look like you have more noise than you have. And it it can be dead silent, and you'll still see this, this waveform of this noise going across a high-pass filter at you know, 30 or 40 hertz isn't going to affect your voice at all, but it will get rid of that subsonic rumble that is making that noise appear in the waveform. Hello, this is Rebecca Lee.
1: Psych, like, y'all, let me stop playing. It's me, Rebecca Lee. You're listening to the Making Waves VO Podcast with Kevin and Bobby.
0: Love it. Let's... Um Emmett, okay, so let's go back just a little bit and talk about uh, those kinds of things. And we're talking about mics and, and room noise and that kind of thing. I've always, you know, I, I talk to people getting into the biz. Uh, I've helped people with tech. Not like you can, though, obviously. But when they talk about their setup and all this stuff, I'm like, get your room sounding right, whatever that be. If it's a closet full of clothes, whatever that is, don't, don't, worry, don't worry about the microphone first. Uh, worry about that secondary. What is your process when helping somebody set up a studio?
2: Uh, the first pro- process is for me to listen. Uh, um, that's the most important thing. Just because a setup is cheap doesn't mean it sounds bad, and just because it's expensive doesn't mean it sounds good. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of figuring out where we are um, when I can, when I'm working with somebody in depth, I work hard t- to teach them to listen as well, because I think that's the, the forgotten attribute that voice actors need to have. They need to be good listeners. And I, I don't know that we talk about that enough, but it's not just listening from the technical perspective, also to other performances and things like that. Listening is an important part of the gig. And you know, from my seat listening on the technical side, being able to identify what you're hearing. When you hear a sound that you don't like or a tone that you don't like, being able to figure out what that might be. Um, and if you need to go room to room to to track down the source of it, that's important too. And then we'll, when I'm talking to somebody, we'll figure out what we can do to minimize it. And if we can eliminate it altogether entirely, but frequently there's a balance where you know, maybe we can we can minimize it a little bit and then we'll bring in noise reduction, RX or whatever to take care of the rest of it. But I, I do like to start at the all of the physical changes that we can make and identify what it is and then tackle it from there.
1: What do you think about foam? Because you have talent asking about, oh, I didn't buy enough foam or I need to buy more foam. What's your What's your answer? I hate foam. I thought you did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're more of a panel guy, or or wood that's uh, laced, or what? What is your process in that regard? Uh,
2: acoustic panels just tend to be a much better value. Okay. Um, even if you don't build them yourself, they're they're more effective, and they don't cost uh, a few panels doesn't cost more than a whole lot of foam does, and a few panels will get you further. And they'll look nicer, and they're they're not going to degrade in a few years and turn into little dust that you find everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not completely anti foam. There are places to use foam um, in very tight booths. I like the uh, the Oralex Leonard traps, and those are made of foam, and I like them because they're just a big dense piece of foam that will fit in a corner, and they're not very expensive, and they will will help the sound of a tiny booth. Um, but in general. I advocate for panels, whether homemade or from some place like GIK.
1: So a lot of talent um, seem to be obsessed with getting all the different—I um, don't know—just add-ons like compression and equalizing and normalizing to their auditions. So what do you? How do you respond to that? Just let's just say somebody who's just starting out, or maybe been in the business for a year, maybe two. And they're just big on buying all this extra equipment and getting their compression and equalization on every audition. What's your answer on that?
2: We always start, at some point, we talk about the performance and the fact that that needs to be front and center. And frequently they will try to jump ahead in the gear and I will pull them back and say, let's look at your space. What can we do in the space to improve things? And... I like talking about the gear too. I wanna get to the point where we can talk about mics and compression and EQ and things like that, but it doesn't make sense to go there until the other things are solved. Once those other things are solved, then the conversations get more fun and then we can have those conversations about what we're gonna do to take things to the next level, what we're gonna do from the technical side. But you gotta you gotta have a foundation before you try to build the rest of the house and that's that's where I try to start and pull people back to all the time. And I'm very quick to tell people, I have a, a large analog front end. What, you're hearing me right now through a 416 and a stack of analog processors. And that's that's me. Nobody needs that. Nobody is going to book <laughs> more because they have that. And I, 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 I don't... Uh, I don't mince words when it comes to that. Nobody needs it. Nobody needs the type of front end that I have. I don't need the type of front end that I have. I have it because I want it, and I've been doing this a long time, and I've been fortunate enough that I can put the money into it to have that, but it's it's like leather seats in a car. If the car has no wheels, the leather seats don't matter.
0: (laughs) That's a good analogy. Uh,
2: Right. So- So I, I, I try to pull people away from that unless they have truly reached everything else they need to be. They have, they're getting solid bookings and they're like, I, I want knobs to play with. I want it to look cool. Then we can have that, that conversation. But most people contacting me are not at the level they want to be. They're trying to get to the level that they want to be. Every once in a while, one comes through and it's somebody who's, done really really well and they just want they just want to spend money they just want to have more toys and those are the most fun but i'm not really helping them exactly um you know i'm not i'm not making their situation better i'm just making it suit them better or helping them helping them make themselves comfortable that's a a big part of it is just getting people to back off on the thought i'm not opposed to processing auditions I, I advocate processing auditions but everything else has to be right first before you start focusing on that um i had a a guy just last week a young guy send me his samples and it's one of the rare times where his space just sounded near perfect wow. and i in the beginning i don't ask what people are using until i have a reason to ask that specific question because i don't want it to cloud my judgment Mm -hmm. so it was uh i I assumed that he had maybe invested in a a whisper room or a studio bricks or something like that no it was just a closet and not only that it was a closet in a one-bedroom apartment wow and every day he would get up and rehang the blankets and every night take the blankets down so they could use the closet wow um and he said that's that's how he gets his his daily workout is hanging <laughs> those things, but I mean it it sounded near perfect. So we just jumped right to the conversation about the mics and processing and things like that because his his space sound. If he had said, oh, I, I spent sixteen thousand dollars on uh, on a studio bricks and I've put another two grand worth of acoustic panels in there, I would have believed him. It sounded that good. Hello, everybody. This is Dave Walsh of the True Tell, and you're listening to the Making Waves VO podcast with my friends Kevin Kilpatrick and Bobby Maxwell.
0: Emmett Andrews has written the book, VO Studio Companion, the Home Voiceover Recording Instruction Manual. Emmett,, uh, tell us the impetus. What, uh, what made you come up with what made you think of writing that?
2: all of the stuff i write on facebook and, and <laughs> you're
0: like i'm tired of writing this here take it
2: that, that's exactly right and at the time i started it that was my thinking I'll, I'll just i'll get all my thoughts out here and then i won't respond as much i still respond the same amount it's still I'm, I'm still always on facebook but um it was good to to get that out um i, I wrote it almost entirely on my phone Laying in bed, <laughs> really, and even I even put a lot of the formatting together on my phone. I, w- I would say it was about ninety percent on my phone, and then the last ten percent I did on the computer. It it, uh, it was just sitting down and getting the words out of my mind, whatever happened to to pop into my mind. And I've been for a few years threatening to release a second edition, and I need to do that. It's mostly written. Um, it's just other things have gotten in the way life has gotten in the way, um, but it's, it's sitting there. So a little of the information is, is dated. Like there's a page on ISDN. We don't need to talk about (laughs) ISDN anymore. Nobody has ISDN, but, um, that, that is what that is. That's me thinking through everything. And it was really good for me to do that because I had to kind of take my mind to the beginning and then step up from there, uh, rather than just jump into the real technical stuff—the stuff that that I think about normally—I had to to go backwards to the basics and figure out how do I explain this without losing somebody? How do I take somebody from not knowing anything to knowing a lot of things? You know, what does that What does that look like? And that's the way I really tried to approach the writing of that. Uh, with each topic where it it starts at a real basic level and by the end of it there's some fairly advanced stuff that you may have no reason to read but if you do read it beginning to end there's a good chance you're going to understand things you never thought you could understand
1: tell us where we can get it
0: oh it's on amazon i'm going to read a couple of uh reviews for you really quick emmett and bobby if you don't mind Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's it's available on amazon tom says The best book on everything audio I've read so far. Jeff says, this is the premier reference guide to Adobe Audition. Wayne says, concise, easy to read and comprehend. And then generic Amazon customer says, beware. Beware the Kindle book not compatible with the Kindle Paperwhite.
1: (laughs) Oh, Uh, you're such a loser. And
0: James, (laughs) here's, here's one though. James A. Muffet. James A. Muffet, I'll let y'all put that together. Yeah, really? Uh, This should be on every voice actor's digital shelf and real shelf uh, in the paperback version. So those are some great reviews. Yeah, Mm. you can get it on Amazon. And uh, a lot of people are being helped by that. And Emmett, um, before we let you go here in just a minute, um, I wanted to see... If you have, we do a regular segment called Nightmare Sessions. Now, it's typically when a voice actor goes into a session and, you know, the session goes horribly wrong. Do you have any tech assistance nightmare sessions or uh, times when you've had a technical issue where you just couldn't wrap your head around what was going on? Nightmare Nightmare Sessions. (laughs)
2: Uh, I have I have two. I'll use two uh, when I was working for this gear company. One of them is a, a short story, and that's the when I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had uh, I, I answered the phone. I worked in the tech support department. and Hans Zimmer's engineer was on the phone. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> wow he he was he was very respectful. He started from the beginning. He explained the entire system. And it was the most complicated thing I have ever heard in my life. Wow. I I understood it to the level of understanding what he was doing, how he was using it, but nowhere near a level that I needed to understand how to troubleshoot it. It was... Like multiple multiple computers working together, each one playing different instruments, and all being connected to a main computer that that was kind of the the master score computer where everything was laid out. Uh, It was just extremely in depth, and uh, I handed it off to one of our senior guys, Todd Tatnell, who is an expert, and um, he. He, he, I think he spent about four hours on the phone, but he solved the issue. Wow. So that was super impressive. That was something that was just plain over my head, not going to touch it. You know, it would have been fun to play around with it, and maybe we would have gotten to the bottom of it. But when you're dealing with Hans Zimmer, he doesn't have time to be an experiment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's remarkable. Uh, what about the other story?
2: Oh, it's it's the just the worst tech story ever. It was... Uh, a, a woman who bought an iPad and nothing else. No no audio-related stuff, just an iPad. And I would try to speak to her. She, she called repeatedly and would yell at me and then hang up. <laughs> <laughs> and then she would email and I would email her back and she wouldn't read the email. She would just send back terrible, angry things. Oh, no. And I, I couldn't even begin to figure out what the problem was with this iPad because she wouldn't give me the opportunity. You know, there there was there was no window to even understand what the problem was. And after like three days, she reached out to my supervisor and my supervisor said, just replace the iPad. Get it back from her, give her a new one said, okay, I'll do that. I did. And then she called and screamed again because the new one didn't work either. (laughs) And finally, finally, I, I, I was able to get a word in edgewise and find out that it wouldn't turn on. She didn't know how to use the power button. No. And she didn't know to plug it in.
1: No, oh, you've gotta charge that bad boy up.
2: <laughs> it it was charged. It's just you know Apple products when you plug them in they'll come on if they're turned off. And she hadn't done either one of those things. Uh-huh. There's a little quick start card that that says something about plugging it in. She hadn't read that, and it, it took what what should have taken two seconds took a week because <laughs> of all the screaming and anger because she took it out of the box and it wasn't just on and working.
1: Oh wow. Oh, Wow. Well, you know, <laughs> some of us just are not technologically gifted, I guess. There
2: are, there are a million nasty tech stories. I get it because nobody calls tech support because they're happy and their gear is working. Yeah. Everybody's upset. Even the, the friendliest people, they're not happy, their gear's not working. What has been nice about doing this kind of in my own space and, and not for that pro audio sales company? They didn't buy the gear from me. They're they're reaching out to me for help and so there is no entitlement for that help. And so they're much friendlier from the start. I don't have to I don't have to calm them down other than to say, Don't worry, I'll I'll take care of you. We'll get to the bottom of this. You know, they're not angry with me, whereas working for a retailer, they're often angry with that retailer even if it's not the retailer's fault and so i i love working with the vast majority of people that i work with i don't have any bad experiences working on my own with people um, because they're just they just approach it differently they approach me differently
1: well we know you offer the the free online consultation I've, I've seen that on your um, site or your Facebook page one but people can also hire you to create stacks for them right and if so how can they get a hold of you Emmett? Uh,
2: my my website Emmett is the the quickest way to find me or find me on Facebook. And it's not just stacks that I offer. I offer all kinds of of technical things and even sometimes go beyond technical. I'm actually helping a a content creator, an influencer right now, design her space, uh, including all the the colors, the paints, the lighting, everything top to bottom. Wow. Um she also does voice work and so it has to be a space that looks good on camera and has the vibe she wants for for her videos, but also sounds good enough to work in. And so I'm taking the whole thing top to bottom and I do all of that. But when somebody reaches out to me, my goal is not to get their money. And I, I'm kind of unique in that regard. My goal is to give them some advice and they go solve their own problem and then sometime when they've made a million dollars and then they want to go buy all that expensive gear they don't need then they can give me money but <laughs> my my initial goal is always to to help them and so there's a lot that i i don't charge for because i i want people to do well i want them to be successful i want them to value quality i want them to 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 see that as something to aim for because if we all preserve quality and we all demand quality, clients will too. And then you know, we don't have to deal with $5 voiceovers and cheap AI replacing us.
1: So I love refreshing. that. Thank you.
0: I love that. That is so cool. Thank you for your kindness and generosity to the industry. Uh, one quick little question. It just popped into my head. Do you work on actual gear?
2: Uh, as far as doing repairs, like getting inside and soldering?
0: Yeah, like, say, for example, somebody had an Avalon uh, 737SP that was uh, maybe had a power issue. Um, Is that anything you work on asking for a friend?
2: I do not, but uh, if it's clicking, that's bad tube. Uh, I learned that about the 737. They make a little quiet clicking noise when there's a problem with them, uh, with the tube, and it needs to be replaced. But, no, I don't... occasionally on on my own stuff i'll get in there and mess with it but i'm not qualified to do all the electrical engineering side of things and um uh, i i will help people track down service centers and things like that if they just simply don't know where to go okay. but i think a, a lot of people are are uh, when they have the that kind of problem they're looking for a less expensive alternative to the factory service centers and for high-end gear, I would say there is none.
0: Yeah, I've I've had it worked on before, and it was you know it was a few hundred bucks, and but but it's worth it. You know, it's an investment. It's it's like a car almost. It's something you're gonna drive all the time, and you you know there's gonna be repair, there's gonna be maintenance.
2: Yep, yeah, and and with good gear, it's worth fixing. I sent a speaker in earlier this year, and it was around eight hundred dollars to repair. power amp went out and it's just one of those things that if you're if you're going to use good quality stuff you have to be prepared to fix it and if you don't want to do that buy cheap stuff throw it away and buy new
1: well Emmett is the man if he uh, gives you advice it's probably uh, accurate and if you see something on Facebook that he answers I would definitely go with it
0: (laughs) it's gold Jerry gold (laughs) thank
2: you so much for having me on
0: Emmett thank you for your time man it's it's been a blast. Learned a lot, too. What a cool guy. We've never talked to him uh, in person, but just via chat. And and everything I saw on chat was, uh, you know, came true with that conversation with him. He's just such a cool, nice guy wanting to help the industry.
1: I know. And that's what I love about him. I mean, every single time... I have D, uh, DM'd him to ask him something. I will always say, "Hey, give me your Venmo. I'll send you something." Nope, nope, not just just let people know the you know the, the answer. And it's like that is so refreshing. I love yeah. it. Yeah,
0: and that's the same exact thing he did with me. Um, I, I can't remember what it was, but, oh, I, I was talking about, you know, pulling the trigger on a new Apollo interface, which I'm I'm still going to be doing. And I'll be buying that from full compass. Thank you very much. And I was like, you know, what do I do? And and should I get this? What should I get? And he was like, well, what are your wants? What are your needs? What did it? And we went back and forth th- several emails. And, you know, this is the man's time. And I was the same uh-huh. way, Bobby. I was like, dude, let me, let me throw you some PayPal money or He's like, no, man don't. He's like, I'm happy to help. Um, he's like, if you end up pulling the trigger on it and you want to do a session and we get it dialed in for you, he's like, then I'll let you hire me for that service. I'm like, done. Done. Yeah. Thank you so much. But
1: oh, I'm going to buy the book. Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
0: I, I was gonna say, what, what did you learn, um, you know, in our career voiceover and, you know, just based on what he was talking about?
1: Um, Not really. I mean, I, I kind of follow him a lot on these on these sites on Facebook so I I always respect what he says so I've listened to a lot of different things I don't know if I've learned anything I just I really respect him so much is what I I, that might take away yeah he's
0: good for the industry mm -hmm. he really is one of the good guys of the industry so love it Uh, the Making Waves VO podcast presented by Full Compass fullcompass.com we know VO Bobby, we will—we're uh, gonna have a great episode next time. Uh, it's kind of up in the air if we're gonna go this way meow, or this way. Meow. But it is going to be fun, exciting, informative, entertainment on the very next episode of the Making Waves VO Podcast. See ya.
2: The Making Waves VO Podcast is produced by K2 Media Productions with hosts Kevin Gilpatrick and Bobby Maxwell. Sound design and editing by Jason Traver. Production assistance by Lacey Deleen. Publicity and social media by Shannon Scott and Silas Phillips. Be sure to subscribe to the Making Waves VO Podcast on your favorite platform. For all episodes, merchandise, gear, and more, visit
0: makingwavesvo.com. Until next time, I'm AJ McKay. Keep
2: making waves.